This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. We are in a series now. Today is message three in our brand new series on fortifying your family with the whole armor of God. And that's what we're talking about. And in this whole armor of God, we find this entire series located in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. The book of Ephesians chapter 6. And today, again now, listen carefully, we're in sermon number 3 of a series of 8. And I pray that it will be a blessing to you learning how to fortify your family with the whole armor of God. One of the things that I noticed today as a pastor that families everywhere are struggling with some sort of challenge, especially in these last many months that we have been dealing with COVID. Unbelievable statistics have skyrocketed with devastations of all sorts, whether it be addictions, whether it be alcoholism, whether it be pornography, whether it be suicides, stress, depression, and one of the things that I want to do is to take some time for the word, from the Word of God to help you understand how to overcome some of these challenges, how to fortify your family. As I mentioned last Sunday, that before there was a church, there was a family. And so I pray that you'll stay with me. Again, this bulletin that uh, we put out on this stock card We'll give you all the scriptures that we're talking about today. And those of you that are watching by internet, that if you're members of our church and uh, you get uh, the newsletter that we put out during the week, you will get a copy of this front and back this afternoon sometime. So be watching for it and it would help you to be refreshed in today's sermon as you go back and look at some of these important truths. But if you have your place with me this morning, I'm going to be speaking upon the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. And I'm going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse number 10, and I'm going to read down through verse number 14. So if you have your place, follow along with me here. Again, the writer is the Apostle Paul. The word says in verse 10, finally, and when you get to a word like that, you have to remember he has already taken into consideration and has already addressed some major subjects in the chapters previous. He's talking about how wives need to love their husbands, husbands need to love their wives, children obeying their parents and the Lord and how fathers are encouraged not to provoke their children to wrath, all sorts of things that fit into the family unit. And when he concludes these monumental studies, he brings us to this place in verse number 10, and he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because I think it's important to understand that one piece is not sufficient you have to understand Paul is encouraging us to put it all on. Every piece is vital. Every piece is important. 
He said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And certainly none of our struggles in life ought to be against one another. The word of God teaches us that far beyond that, we wrestle in the spirit world. And the scripture makes it clear. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against uh, the spiritual wickedness of this world in high places. In verse number 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then in verse number 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Last Sunday, I took the time to go into what I believed to be an in-depth explanation of what it means to have your loins girt about with truth. And having on, look at this, the latter part of verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness. I want you to turn to the book of Psalms and I want you to see a passage of scripture in Psalms 84 and I want to read verses 1 through 5. And this, by the way, is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. And I hope that you'll glean something from these incredible words as well. In Psalms chapter 84, as you look at verses 1 through 5, and they will get these scriptures on the screen just as quick as they can. But I want you to notice with me, beginning in verse number 1, how admirable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. Look at this. this because this is significant, I want to mention something briefly about verses 1 through 4 in just a minute before I get to the main verse that I want you to see in verse number 5. But in verse 2, look at it very carefully. I want to explain it to you in just a moment. My soul, all of us have a soul. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? All of us have a soul. Our soul, when we leave this life, will be somewhere forever. All of us are born with a soul. The psalmist is saying, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the, of the Lord. What is that talking about? Something very precious I want to share with you in just a moment. My heart, underline the word heart. That's what we're talking about today. And my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still Praising thee, Selah. Now, we've noticed something in verse number two. My soul longeth for the courts of the Lord. In the courts of the Lord, the sparrow hath found a house, a resting place. Verse three talks about the altars of God. Blessed are they that dwell in the house. And so the first four verses of Psalms 84 deals with those who have a love to be in the house of God. And let me say that one of the greatest joys, one of the greatest passions, one of the greatest motivations of my life personally is coming 
to the Lord's house. Psalms 122 verse number one says this, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now I know that we're all different. And the word of God teaches us that we are in this difference. We are so wonderfully and beautifully created. We are all made different. But I would tell you this this morning as the gospel truth. It would not matter to me if they said, in addition to the mask that we have to wear, if they said, now, in addition to that, you're going to have to put on a raincoat. You're going to have to put on a fireman's hat. You're going to have to put on combat boots and a scuba diving air tank. It would not matter to me if it meant coming to the house of God. I put it all on to sit in the pew and to hear the word of God preached in the fellowship, in the courts of the congregation. But this morning, there's something precious in verse number five, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment because we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to be talking about, listen very carefully, our spiritual heart. Our spiritual heart. Last Sunday, we talked about the girdle of truth, and we mentioned some very important things about that. By the way, let me reemphasize that every single piece of spiritual armor is critical. It's important. Every piece Every piece of armor that we're going to be reading in the book of Ephesians, it it, it hangs upon the truth of God's holy word. Because without the truth, listen carefully, without the truth, we have absolutely nothing. If we did not have the truth before us today, you holding the truth in your lap, you might as well be preaching out of a Sears or Roebuck catalog. It's imperative that we have the truth. Everything, everything, every other piece of armor, it hangs on the truth. So listen carefully. Many times we talk about our spiritual heart. And especially you hear from me a lot of times really focusing on that because I will often plead with you. Let Jesus come into your heart. I will ask you this question and plead with you. Have you opened up your heart And have you let the Lord Jesus in? Sometimes people will say to me, Pastor, God has laid this on my heart. And so as you think about this thing about the spiritual heart, let me ask you, what does that really mean? When I ask you, have you opened up your spiritual heart? Have you opened up your heart to the Lord Jesus? Have you let the Lord Jesus come into your heart? What does that mean? What does that really involve? This thing about your spiritual heart. The breastplate of righteousness, it deals with all of that. Now listen carefully. We should all be thankful. Those of you that know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we should all be thankful that when we gave our heart to Christ, We're talking about the spiritual heart. We should all be thankful that when we accepted the Lord, when we came into his fellowship, when we came into his family, aren't you glad this morning that when we became children of God, that God did not say, well, now that you've trusted me as your personal savior, you're in a bad spot because now I'm just going to throw you out on life's sea and I want you to wish for the best. Aren't you glad God did not say that to us? I mean, aren't you glad that when we became a part of his family that God did not say, hey, I hope that you make it or do the best that you can. I'm glad God didn't say to us, hey, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a very difficult road, but just suck it up. 
Listen carefully. God in his great love for each and every one of us. You remember what the scripture said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God in his great love has promised and provided extraordinary means of protection for us on this earth. While we are here, along the journey from his imparted grace to us on this earth to heaven. And it's all wrapped up in this amazing thing called the armor of God, the spiritual protection that God has given to us. Now listen very carefully this morning. This is what I found out. Every time I preach a series similar to this, spiritual warfare or the whole armor of God, learning how to resist the devil, fortifying your family. This is what I found out in the many years gone by, that when I preach a series like this, this is when the devil vehemently attacks me personally. This is when I find myself dealing with an abundance of issues and problems that not only affect me, but affect you. Not only affect our church, affect our school. Whenever I'm dealing with a subject like this that puts the devil on notice because I believe with all of my heart that the devil is very real. The devil is very real. He's cunning. He's, he's very slick. He knows how to manipulate us. He knows how to move himself into our life and to our world and to our families and to our ministries. He knows how to do that. The devil knows that every single Christian who puts on this particular piece of armor, he knows the breastplate of righteousness. The devil knows that a person who puts this particular piece on is going to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But he also knows this, that not every Christian is going to do that. I would like to think that everybody that gave their heart to Christ was going to be a champion for the Lord until the day of redemption. I would like to think that, but that's not the case. Not every Christian is going to wake up in the morning putting the breastplate of righteousness on. And the devil knows this. Not every Christian who wakes up in the morning, who puts their feet on the floor, is not going to do this. He knows that not every single Christian is camping near the cross. In fact, he is seriously looking for those who do not do that. But for every believer who takes their relationship with Christ very seriously, let me assure you today from God's word that God has provided for us within his arsenal of heaven spiritual protection that makes it possible for each and every one of us to become more than conquerors in him. Because listen, with the breastplate of righteousness with the whole armor of God, we can fortify our life. You can fortify your family and you can fortify your goals and your destiny. You can simply do that. Romans 8, 37 says this. Again, the apostle Paul is writing. He says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. One of the most important pieces of armor listed in these verses And Ephesians is indeed the breastplate of righteousness. And listen carefully, that piece of armor is designed exclusively to protect our spiritual heart. I want to go back and reread a passage of scripture that we've already shared out of Psalms 84. And it goes back to verse number two. I want you to see this. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart Look at that, underline it. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. 
So keep in mind that our spiritual heart is important. It's valuable. It's vital to every member of our family as well. So listen, every one of us who has taken on the name of Christ, who has become a believer, we're part of the family of God. It's not just your heart that's important. But the spiritual well-being of your family is critical. And not only is your heart important, but the spiritual heart of your family is equally important. It's our spiritual heart that is the thing that actively, constantly engages us with the Holy Spirit, or it's our spiritual heart that engages with the compromise of the devil. Listen carefully. As a believer, as a born-again believer, our, our blessed Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, which, by the way, we believe is very real and very active in this world, we do, let me clarify something for you. We do believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We do believe in the Holy Trinity. And in this life, while Jesus ascended back to the Father, he said, I will not go, I will not leave you comfortless. He said, I promise that I will send you the Holy Spirit. I will send you the guide. I will send you the comforter. And he will lead you and he will guide you into all things. So when Jesus ascended back to the Father, if you study your Bible correctly, 10 days after that ascension on the day of Pentecost, the, the fulfillment of that promise took place and the Holy Spirit of God came. Now listen, as a believer, in this world, while we are awaiting the second coming of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is our messenger. But it's the heart that is the receiver. From our spiritual heart, listen, here's what happens. We decide from our spiritual heart what we're going to believe in or what we're not going to believe. From our spiritual heart, we decide what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. Our spiritual heart, listen carefully, our spiritual heart is involved with our conduct. It's involved with our character. It's involved with our attitude, our choices, our decision, our words. Our spiritual heart intertwines with all of that very closely. That's why the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 19, verse number 21, they will get it on the screen quickly. Look at this scripture, Proverbs 19, 21. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. And so we're going to have trouble with our physical hearts. When we get in trouble with our physical hearts, we're going to get in trouble. You have to know what to do when you have physical heart trouble. My dad called me and said, I'm taking your mother to Johnston Willis. I don't know what's going on. Her heart is racing a little fast and she feels a little faintish. I think I need to get her to the emergency room. And that's exactly what he did. Listen, there are certain things that come up in our physical life and our physical body that when they're out of sorts, we know that something's wrong and we are all, most of us anyway, are motivated to do something about it. But when we have spiritual heart trouble, listen carefully. Sometimes I think we're a little sluggish to deal with that. But we have got to be just as concerned to deal with spiritual heart trouble as we are with physical heart trouble. When you have spiritual heart trouble, it's going to show up. It's going to show up in your life. Listen, if you have spiritual heart trouble, it's going to show up in your, your prayer life because you're not going to be spending a whole lot of time in prayer if you're having spiritual heart trouble. 
It's going to show up. I'm talking about if you have spiritual heart trouble, then it's going to show up in your Bible reading time. If you have spiritual heart trouble, it's going to show up in your priorities. It's going to show up in your tithes and offerings. It's going to show up in your service unto the Lord. And I would say this to every parent, whether you're watching by internet today or whether you're in this great congregation this morning, I want to say this, that every parent, you need to pay very close attention because we're talking about spiritual heart trouble. When you let worldliness creep into your heart as a parent, it's going to ultimately creep into your home. And when it creeps into your home, it's going to creep into the heart of your children. You cannot deny that. It's going to happen. And so you have to fully understand how important it is to protect your spiritual heart. I wonder how many Christians right now all over the world, I wonder how many Christians are in places today that they thought they would never be in because of spiritual heart failure. There's a huge conflict going on all around with their spiritual heart. And here's what's happening. All of us have one. When it comes to this thing of the spiritual heart, the devil's after your heart. The Holy Spirit's trying to speak to it. Friends and the world are trying to influence it. And we are either trying to be surrendered to it or we're going to be stubborn with it. So when you look at your spiritual heart and the circumference of that, there's a lot going on and a lot of challenges coming to us. I want you to try to understand a spiritual truth this morning and that's this, that the heart, the spiritual heart in itself does not have a natural desire to have a relationship with God. The Bible says, in sin did my mother conceive me. So listen, we don't come out of the womb singing glory be God's name. We don't come out of the womb wanting to testify and uh, read our Bibles. That's not how it works. We are all conceived in sin. We are all born in sin for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when it comes to this thing, none of us are born. It's not a natural desire for any of us to have a close relationship with God. Every so often, though, listen, those of us that seek it and, and, and uh, the, because the Bible says, even in the life of Cornelius, when you study that in Acts chapter 10, the Bible says this, that if you want to know the truth, you seek the truth and you can find the truth. Cornelius was a man who was seeking the truth and God made that avenue possible. When you seek it, God will make it available. God will make it possible for you to find it. But listen to this. Every so often, even where you physically live in your physical dwelling, every so often, if you live in a house particularly, some live in condos, apartments, or so forth, but if you live in a house, every so often, and you have aluminum siding of some sort, every so often, because of the accumulation and the buildup of mildew, you're going to have to power wash that every now and then. Because if you don't, it's going to look absolutely ridiculous over a period of time. Over a period of time, there's an accumulation of mildew and there's, there's maybe even mold. There's a buildup of some type of thing that needs to be cleaned. Now, you think about this. If we're not catering to our spiritual hearts over a period of time, that's going to happen to us as well. And every now and then, we're going to have to ask God, the Holy Spirit, 
God, would you somehow today use the power of the Holy Spirit to power wash my heart, get it clean, knock some of that worldliness off of it, knock some of that crud off of it. God, I pray that I could have a heart that is totally acceptable unto you. In fact, the word of God says this in Psalms 51 verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Every now and then because of worldliness, because of sin, and by the way, you let worldliness creep into your home and into your life. As I said it already this morning, it's going to show up in your children. You're gonna to have to say, God, the Holy Spirit, I don't want my children to go down this path, and I pray in God's name, in Jesus' name, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to power wash my heart and create a clean spirit within me. So how do we protect our heart? Number one, quickly, if you have a bulletin, follow along with me. I got a lot to do in 10 minutes. With the breastplate of righteousness, and it's an amazing piece of spiritual protection. I want you to get this this morning. Listen carefully. When Jesus died on the cross, when he died on the cross, he not only took our place, he not only became our vicarious substitute, he not only took our sin, nailing it to the cross, but this is amazing. And if you don't know this spiritual truth today, learn it this morning. One of the things that he also did was that he imputed his righteousness to us. You think with me, the word says, Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He said, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of pastor, not the righteousness of you, but that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So here's the deal. When we come to Christ for salvation, he not only forgives us of our sin, he not only writes our name down in the Lamb's book of life, he not only gives us a home in heaven, but he also gives us his righteousness. When we become righteous in Christ, listen carefully, we're not becoming righteous in ourselves. It's impossible. It's impossible for any of us to become righteous within ourselves. In fact, Titus says this in chapter three, verse five, not of works of righteousness, which we have done. It's impossible for any of us to be righteous in ourselves, which we have done, but according to he, notice this, his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Paul also said this in Philippians chapter three, verse nine, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So listen carefully. When, when the Lord God Almighty imputed to us in salvation this whole thing of the new birth, his righteousness, think about this, not mine but his, that means that when we are confronted by Satan in some sort of spiritual conflict or spiritual battle, if we put on the breastplate of righteousness, this particular piece of armor of God, again, 
not because of my righteousness, not because of my works, not because of my good deeds, but because he imputed to me on the cross through the shedding of his blood, through his bodily resurrection. When I receive him as my personal savior, he's imputed to me his righteousness. And listen carefully, when we put on this breastplate, we are protected by his righteousness, not our own. We are nothing in our own. We're protected by him. And listen, the devil knows how to play with our mind. He knows how to play with our heart and he loves to accuse us before God Almighty. I want to show you a very interesting passage here. Turn with me quickly to Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 10. This is important because some people believe in this world that the devil right now is in hell. He's turning coals over with his pitchfork and he's just maybe a little cartoon character running around with red leotards on and horns and hoof feet and a pitchfork and a pointed tail. Listen, don't ever make fun of the devil. Don't ever think he's only a cartoon character because he's a real person and he's after each and every one of us. The word says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But so here's the thing. The devil's not in hell right now. The word says he's the prince and power of the air. He's busy. He's busy right now trying to create as much havoc for me and you as he possibly can. He's trying to destroy my life. He's trying to wreck my life. He's trying to destroy your life and wreck your life. But not only that, he's not only actively trying to make a mess out of me and you, but he's also approaching the throne of grace and accusing God of our shortcomings. Look at this. In Revelation 12, verse 10, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ. Look at this. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God, our God, day and night. So in our fallen moments, here's what Satan does. In our, in our times of either being backslidden or our periods of time where we're cold and indifference or when we're out of sorts with one another or when we're out of sorts with God, here's what's happening. The devil is not only down here trying to wreck our lives, but he's also mocking God. He's also pointing his finger. The word says, as the accuser of the brethren, here's what the devil does. He points his finger in the face of God and he says, look at him. You've got off the path for a moment. I get off the path for a moment and the devil mocks us and he points to God and he says, look at him. He claims to be a Christian, but look what he's doing right now. Or look at her. Look what she's doing with her life right now. The devil is saying they are the weakest Christian on the planet. They are the weakest link in the chain. And the devil is saying, as the accuser of our brethren, he is saying, God, you might as well kick them to the curb. They are useless. They are worthless. And God says this when he speaks back. He says, since they have been saved, Mr. Lucifer, he says, I don't look at them the same way you look at them anymore. He said, you look at them as vile, wretched sinners. You look at them in depravity. You look at them as part of the fallen creation. Yes, you see them worthy of hell. You see them as hopeless and helpless, but I don't look at them like you look at them anymore. I see them when I look at them. I see them through the nail scars of my beloved son. Though they have strayed right now, I don't see them like you see them. I see them as forgiven. I see them redeemed. I see them bought by the blood. I see them clothed in my righteousness. Somebody, can just somebody say amen? Glory to God. 
I think I've just been a rod. Oh. Number two, our sanctification connects with God's righteousness. If you're looking at your bulletin this morning, I want you to see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 4. Look at it carefully. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. I believe one of the reasons why there's so much disruption in the home, why there's so much chaos in the family, so much commotion going on is because, listen carefully, those of you that are parents, you have a high premium on responsibility. I think one of the reasons is because sometimes there's not enough motivation for sanctification. And I'm going to explain something to you this morning. There's a huge difference in sanctification and justification. Big difference. Justification is when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We receive him, we trust him, we invite him into our heart. You're born again, you're transformed one time. But sanctification is something that takes place every single day. Now listen, there's a multitude of people that want to be saved, but there's very few people that want to live like they're saved. That's a huge difference. And if we take on the name of Christ and become righteous in heaven's eyes, then we should be concerned about living righteous in the world's eyes. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this in verse 13 and 16. I got to behave myself here for a little while. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 16, the word says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing to be cast out, to be trodden underfoot of men. Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. I want you to notice that. So here's the thing. If we have come to Christ for salvation and he has imparted righteousness, his righteousness to us, then we ought not to be just righteous in heaven's eyes. We need to live like we're righteous in the world's eyes. We owe it to the grace of God that when we come to him, we should be willing to live for him and to let our world know, our world all around us, that now we belong to Jesus and no longer affiliated with the life of the past. Number three, quickly, our musicians come, please. We have to daily maintain. Listen, if you don't get anything else out of the message today, please get this. We have to daily maintain an appetite for God's righteousness, not just on Sundays not just on Sundays. In Matthew chapter five, verse number six, Jesus said this, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want you to see one more passage today and I'll give you maybe another one or two. Look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter six and verses three through seven. They'll get it up quickly for you. Look at this. Paul is right in Second Corinthians six, verse three, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things are proving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience and afflictions and necessities and distresses and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unframed, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor 
of righteousness. On the right hand and on the left. So listen carefully. You will never be able to experience real victory in your life if you are living with a passion for the world. You cannot be in love with God and be in love with the world at the same time. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the word says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so I want you to remember this in closing putting on the breastplate of righteousness, please listen, is not a one-time thing. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.